Hey friends, I'm Alameen Abdul-Mahmoud. I'm the host of the new podcast, Commotion. If you don't know about us yet, well, we are your daily deep dive into the biggest stories coming out of the world of pop culture, art, and entertainment. And luckily, I'm not going to be doing it alone, okay? I'll be joined by some brilliant culture writers and thoughtful super fans. We're going to have hilarious hot takes. We're going to have vibrant debates. Consider this your invitation to join the group chat. Get in here and join us. Commotion, available weekdays on CBC Listen. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, it's Tamara. So by now, you may have seen the extraordinary photos and videos that came out of Brazil on Sunday. A sea of people walking into government buildings in the country's capital, smashing windows to get in, and then roaming around and breaking stuff for hours. If that sounds familiar, that's because it is. There are so many parallels between what happened in Brasilia on January 8th and the Capitol riots in Washington, D.C. on January 6th, two years ago. But here, most of the crowd is wearing the iconic yellow Brazilian soccer jersey. It used to be just a symbol of patriotism, but more recently it's become a way for people to show their support for former President Jair Bolsonaro. Bolsonaro lost the presidential election to newly inaugurated President Luis Ignacio Lula da Silva, widely known as just Lula, at the end of October. But these demonstrators believe he is the real president of Brazil and that he should be reinstated. The president's office may have conceded defeat, but many of Jair Bolsonaro's millions of supporters have not. He cannot take the power. The people is on the street. We want to be... The military take over into no, no election, you know? And that's partly because Bolsonaro himself had been casting doubt on the integrity of Brazil's elections for a full year before the vote. The result of the polls will be respected as long as the elections are clean and transparent. How come you say electronic voting machines are auditable when that didn't happen in 2014? But okay, it's all good. Let's conclude this conversation. Since Sunday, Bolsonaro's condemned the vandalism and invasions of public buildings, and he's also rejected accusations from Lula that he encouraged the attacks. Lula called the rioters fascists and fanatics. He also lashed out at police, saying they did nothing to stop them. Just a week into his presidency, Lula now has to figure out how to govern a country where half the voters chose Bolsonaro and where many people still don't accept him as the legitimate leader. This week on the show, we're going to look at how this idea took hold in Brazil and how Bolsonaro's inspired such fierce loyalty. Who are the people who make up his base? And how did the country become so deeply polarized? My guest is Sede Silva. He's a reporter for the Brazilian Report based in Brasilia. I'm Tamara Kandaker, and you're listening to Nothing is Foreign. Sede, hello. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, Hello. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 
So Sade, let's start with how we got here. Bolsonaro lost the election at the end of October, and since then, some of his supporters have refused to accept the results of the election, and they've been doing things like blocking highways. They've also been camped out at military headquarters across the country, basically demanding that the military stage a coup and reinstall him. And that's been going on for months. But did we know that they were planning to do something like what we saw on Sunday. Yes, uh, we know that. And we also know that authorities knew that. And we know that because the authorities said so. So in the weeks leading up to this uh, large-scale attack on January 8th, uh, pro-Bolsonaro demonstrators uh, on social media, they were talking about something they codenamed Selma's Party. And they use the word Selma because Selma is similar to the word Selva, which means jungle and is used by military people. It's a military jargon for saying, I'm ready. It's a war cry. They say Selva, jungle, which is, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's do it. There is a video that was circulating by Wednesday, January 4, of two famous pro-Bolsonaro influencers and they are talking about let's seize Congress, let's retake power. Tomar o Congresso Nacional, nós certamente teremos a vitória. We will surely win if we take over the National Congress, but I need to bring you some information here so that we don't go in without planning and the situation ends up getting worse. To bring a million people to Brasília, we need 220,000 buses. Nós precisamos de 220 mil ônibus. And we also know that on Saturday, one day before the terrorist attack, Justice Minister Flavio Dino tweeted about, uh, I'm I'm hearing reports about the so-called quote-unquote war in Brasilia, and I have informed the police and I have talked with the governor about this. uh, So we know that authorities had intelligence that something was upcoming. Hmm. So they're planning this openly on social media, and there have been a lot of questions since Sunday about where the police and military were when these protesters were were storming these buildings. And there have also been videos that we've seen of police officers inside Congress not really doing anything to stop these people and even taking selfies with some of the demonstrators. And so having said all of that, What do you think we need to understand about the connection between law enforcement in Brazil and Bolsonaro supporters? So Bolsonaro has always tried to cultivate these links between not only him and the military, which are more natural, older links that exist uh, with him because of of the fact that he is a former army captain. But during the time he was president, Uh, Bolsonaro attended a lot of ceremonies. I used to joke that Bolsonaro would be a good candidate for Miss Brazil because uh, Misses attend a lot of ceremonies and formal events. And so Bolsonaro, during the four years he was president, he attended a lot of graduations of the police. So cadets in different states, they have these graduation ceremonies when the police officers are ready or they attain a certain rank. And so he visited police in, in, in different places. Um, during the time he was president, he also uh, sponsored bills or legislation, uh, some of which has not succeeded, that would favor the police in certain sectors. For example, he was always in favor of laxer rules for the police shooting and uh, using guns uh, in some way. 
that the mm. police should not be uh, convicted uh, after they have killed people uh, during a police action or, or something like that. We need to have a place where you can leave good people out of range of the shooting and go all out on criminals. And to give officers the right not to be prosecuted. They go in, solve the problem. If they kill 10, 15 or 20 with 10 or 30 bullets each, they need to get a medal and not be prosecuted. So he openly cultivated these ties with the police. Because of this, a lot of police voted for Bolsonaro. And a lot of police officers in different states in Brazil um, are friendly to Bolsonaro and his ideas. Right. Okay. interesting. And so that explains sort of the relationship that he has with police. But you also mentioned that he used to be an army captain. And so I'm wondering if we could go a bit deeper on his relationship with the military, because there's a bit more to it than that. Right. Like as he was coming up, he would openly praise the era of the military dictatorship in Brazil. Is that right? Yes. So Bolsonaro was a congressman for 28 years, that's seven consecutive four-year terms. Uh, In his office as a congressman, he had five photos on the wall, and the five photos are of the five military presidents during Brazil's military dictatorship from the 60s to the 80s. Uh, Bolsonaro was always uh, a vocal ally and supporter of the dictatorship. We participated in the Democratic Revolution of 1964, where we identified with the national aspirations for the preservation of democracy that was being threatened by ideological radicalization, social disturbances, strikes and widespread corruption. So I repeat the question, from a historical perspective, was Roberto Marinho a dictator or a democrat? Um, He was always a vocal supporter of torture, so he always had... Um, this nostalgia discourse that during the dictatorship uh, things were really good and Brazil should return to the ways of the military dictatorship. Also, as a part of this nostalgia, uh, Bolsonaro actually had a government that was more military than the military dictatorship itself in the number of retired and uh, current military people he appointed to office. And so during the Bolsonaro era, you had military people in the health ministry, in the education ministry, and in all areas of government. Okay, so... There are favors being exchanged and personal connections. And on top of that, there is this like ideological overlap between him and the people who work for these institutions. But let's pivot a little bit to the demonstrators themselves, these Bolsonaro supporters. So if you listen to what they're saying, a lot of them really believe that this election was stolen. And Bolsonaro has pushed this idea himself But I know it was also really amplified on social media, right? And there was a lot of misinformation going around before the vote. And can you talk a bit about the misinformation problem in Brazil and how that may have played into what just happened? Sure. So social media enabled Bolsonaro to be elected in the first place because um, he was a candidate initially from a very small party with little money, little TV um, time. 
And the fact that his his message uh, was very effective on social media allowed him to outcompete candidates um, that ha- had more political support and more political muscle uh, during the 2018 election. And he always attacked, even before he was elected, he was already attacking the, the Brazilian electoral system, saying that the machine is rigged, that it cannot be trusted, uh, and so on and so forth. I'll give you one example of how uh, he combines this with copying Donald Trump's playbook. Donald Trump, after he was elected in 2016, he lied, claiming that he also won the popular vote. This is fake. Bolsonaro claimed, even after he won the election, that the election was a fraud because actually he had won the election in the first round without the need for a runoff, which is false. But this idea helped his supporters get the the false understanding that the machines are rigged, that the system cannot be trust, and that he is a single solitary conservative man fighting against the system. Mm. And aside from questions about the integrity of the election, what other kinds of misinformation was out there? And I'm curious about Lula specifically, if you want to start with him. Well, they will claim that Lula is a communist. Lula is going to bring communism to Brazil. And, and they claim that Lula's health minister is going to legalize abortion in Brazil. Abortion is illegal. Or that um, Lula is going to make the landless movement um Uh, place uh, homeless people inside your house and and so on and so forth. So there's all kinds of paranoia and uh, a left-wing fear about what Lula is going to do. Right. And I know the majority of the misinformation was coming from the right, but were there similar misinformation campaigns targeting Bolsonaro coming from the left? What was the left saying about him? Yes. So uh, one thing that Lula did was that um, he arranged a very social media savvy congressman named uh, Janonis uh, to support Lula in, in the 2022 election. And Janonis was not specifically on Lula's camp during Bolsonaro's term, but he then became the sort of uh, left-wing Bolsonaro. Janonis used some things that have a little base of truth to claim that Bolsonaro belongs to a Masonic, uh, he's a Mason, he's a Freemason, he belongs to a Satanic Masonry cult, and and other other things of the uh, of the sort that cause a lot of moral panic, uh, especially among Bolsonaro's base, which was exactly the base of Janone's strategy, because in Brazil, just like in the United States, uh, the evangelical segment of the electorate is becoming very influential and very powerful. And these kinds of moral panics about Bolsonaro being a, a, a satanic member or about becoming a Freemason, etc., uh, they raise a lot of flags among the evangelicals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting because on the flip side, I've seen that there is like a QAnon type movement in Brazil and that people who are part of that movement, they see Bolsonaro as some kind of a messiah, right? What's that all about? Yes, uh, there is a, a strongly Kianon-inspired uh, movement in Brazil. Uh, they People do see Bolsonaro as a messiah. And to Bolsonaro's favor, his name, his full name, actually is Jair Messias Bolsonaro. And Messias is the Portuguese word for messiah. So he actually has messiah in, in, his, in his identity document. Um, Bolsonaro and a lot of evangelical leaders... They not only endorse to their flocks and to the people in the churches 
about the need to vote for Bolsonaro against communism, but a lot of these preachers, they actually prophesied that Bolsonaro would win because it was the will of God. When Bolsonaro lost, it's not only a political loss, but it was also a religious loss to a lot of these evangelical leaders uh, that promised or prophesied that Bolsonaro would win. And this um, incentivized a new discourse, which is the discourse that something's going to happen in the future to correct the fact that the prophecy apparently was wrong, which is a very religious thing. President Bolsonaro was put there by God. President Bolsonaro was put there by God. It was God himself who put him there. You may not agree with him or with his character or with the way he speaks, but it was God who put him there. And this also helped um, incentivize pro-Bolsonaro demonstrators to stay in, inside the camps nearby the military installations that you have mentioned. Uh, something that has kept people going and kept them in the camps is the faith that something is going to happen, some intervention is going to happen in the future because uh, it, is it is impossible that the preacher was wrong. It is impossible that Lula actually won. Uncover from CBC Podcasts is your source for exceptional storytelling and groundbreaking journalism. Unveil the shocking secrets of one of Canada's most prolific fashion moguls. He far exceeds Jeffrey Epstein. He far exceeds Bill Cosby. And dive into the unsolved murders of two Canadian billionaires. This is a perfect storm of conspiracy theory. It's got all the ingredients, none of the answers. With new episodes released weekly, you'll hear the very best in award-winning true crime. Listen to Uncover wherever you get your podcasts. So, Sede, I want to understand what it is about Bolsonaro that's inspired this kind of intense loyalty from people. What is it about him that they've latched onto? Okay, so one of the smart things about Bolsonaro, especially after he became president, it is that he has used the fragmentation of social media to speak to different publics. Uh, so back in the 90s, either you are a famous person or you're not. With the internet, what has, what has happened is you can be an influencer and have several million people listening to you, and a lot of people actually don't know who you are. Uh, because you speak to a certain bubble and to a certain segment of the public. Bolsonaro has managed to use this uh, characteristic, this feature of the internet, to speak to different publics. So there is an evangelical Bolsonaro, there is a motorbiker Bolsonaro, there is an anti-communist Bolsonaro, there is a military Bolsonaro, and so on. And so he, he will uh, do different speeches or different videos for these different publics at different times. All these different groups, 
they have something that they oppose, that Bolsonaro also opposes, and for this reason they will stick to Bolsonaro. For example, a lot of evangelicals, they are concerned with the secularization of politics and they are concerned with abortion. Bolsonaro is openly against abortion and because of these, uh, he also opposes uh, homosexuals having the right, gay people having the right to get married. He is in favor of a traditional family, of traditional Christian values, and for this reason, there are these evangelicals that uh, stand with him. This message does not spread to a group, for example, of the motorbikers and the truckers. They are mostly concerned with Bolsonaro uh, slashing taxes to keep the prices of fuel uh, low, and so they can uh, run their bikes and their trucks and work with their bikes and their trucks. And it, it, the message is a lot about uh, the freedom to circulate and uh, the, the freedom to use your motorbike and whatever. And, and Bolsonaro, um, while president, he participated in a lot of motorbike rallies along bikers, which is a different segment uh, that speaks to Bolsonarism. There's another segment that is very concerned with corruption and was especially concerned with corruption during the time that Lula and Dilma were presidents. And so they are with Bolsonaro because they are afraid of Lula coming back and, uh, and reinstating the corruption of those years. Yeah, interesting. That's a really clear way of looking at it. So essentially what you're saying is that there's a bunch of very distinct groups that have latched onto Bolsonaro for their own reasons. And usually that reason is that he is against something that they also are against. Is that right? Precisely. So when you ask a lot of Bolsonaro voters why they voted for him, they talk about how much they despise Lula. And just to give people a quick summary of who Lula actually is, he is a former steelworker. He founded the Workers' Party in Brazil, and he's known as the president who lifted millions of Brazilians out of poverty. And what's happened with this election is this really remarkable comeback because he went to jail on corruption charges, was released because the charges were thrown out, and now he's won. You've talked about the fears around corruption and some of the values-based issues, but what else are these Bolsonaro supporters so afraid of when it comes to Lula? A lot of people voted for Bolsonaro simply because they don't like Lula. Lula was also the person responsible for nominating his minister Dilma Rousseff uh, to running for president. And Dilma was a very bad president, especially in terms of economics. Uh, and Brazil experienced um, uh, a recession uh, because of Dilma's policies and, and the decisions that Dilma uh, took while she was president. Uh, because of this, uh, uh, Brazil experienced uh, long years of high unemployment, high interest rates. Uh, a lot of people that purchased uh, trucks or apartments or expensive things um, with with financing, then they later lost their jobs and they lost their access to finance and they needed to return these things back. Other concerns are about Lula's association with um, communist dictatorships because Lula and his party are strong vocal allies of uh, Cuba's regime, of Nicolás Maduro's regime in Venezuela. And during Lula and Dilma's time when they were in government, uh, Brazil's development bank helped finance a lot of public construction in these countries. So it's also 
kind of similar to Brexit supporters in the fact that they believe that a lot of public funds, that a lot of taxpayer money is going to other countries. And so, so you, you're going to see different reasons for why people were not wanting uh, Lula to return. And um, a part of the segment, a part of the, the segment is also people that actually want Bolsonaro. They, they want Bolsonaro because he's a military guy, he tells it like it is, he poses traditional Christian values, and they would vote for Bolsonaro uh, no matter what his opponent was. You've given us a lot of different reasons why people may support Bolsonaro and not Lula or the other way around. But in the grand scheme of things, a lot of the divisions in Brazil right now seem to be kind of ideological and based on culture war type issues. Do you think that's a fair assessment or is that an oversimplification? I think that's a very fair assessment. And I have wrote about that in how uh, in this election, the uh, Brazil became more similar to the United States is in terms of culture wars, and especially in what I call the urban left slash versus rural right uh, segments. So uh, Brazil is becoming increasingly similar to the United States in that people with a college degree and people that live in the big cities voted for Lula, where people that vote in smaller cities and people more connected to agricultural activity voted for Bolsonaro. How entrenched do you think these divisions are? Because I've read a lot about, you know, an analysis of how people think Bolsonarismo is here to stay. And if you look back at what happened on January 6th in the U.S., the U.S. remains a deeply polarized country since the Trump administration. Do you think that will be the case for Brazil moving forward? Uh, I think that much like in the United States, Brazil politics will remain divided uh, especially because the pro-Bolsonaro lawmakers that got a larger bench in Congress uh, in the elections uh, will remain lenient with Bolsonaro and they will remain with the understanding uh, that the, the army uh, should be political, that we should have military people in place, or that at the very least uh, we need to have the right in power to block Brazil from becoming a country run uh, by the pot-smoking LGBT uh, left-wing ideologues and so on and so forth. So this discourse remains. Yeah. But so a lot of these people who took part in these demonstrations, they've they've been arrested. But do you think that we're likely to see more of these types of actions? Like, do you think that these people who refuse to accept the results of this election are they going to stand down or, or where do you think this is going? I, I think we're still going to see uh, this, this protest elsewhere because we know that because they have already uh, pledged to do so. They have failed so far uh, to do this on the night from Sunday to Monday, but some pro-Bolsonaro demonstrators were speaking of also occupying uh, the installations of Petrobras, which is Brazil's oil and energy uh, state-owned company. And and doing this in other cities. So despite the fact that we had hundreds of people arrested in Brasilia, Brazil's capital, you still have pro-Bolsonaro groups uh, nationwide across Brazil, which is a very large country. So I think we're still going to see uh, these demonstrations taking place. 
Sade, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure talking to you. You're such an encyclopedia of knowledge. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, thank you very much. Um, for our Canadian listeners, you know, my nickname, Sede, actually comes from a Brazilian slang that refers to a nerd or to a person that studies a lot. So you calling me an encyclopedia is very on character. Amazing. I love that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. All right, that's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Our producer is Joyta Shangupta and our sound designer is Graham McDonald. Our senior producer is Elaine Chow. The executive producer of Nothing is Foreign is Nick McCabe-Locos. Special thanks this week to Louise Lopez. Nothing is Foreign is a co-production of CBC News and CBC Podcasts. Our theme music is by Joseph Shabison. And before I let you go, if you haven't done this already, do me a favor and leave us a rating and a review wherever you're listening to this. It only takes a second and it really helps new listeners discover the show. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CBC Podcasts. I'm Tamara Kandacker. Thank you so much for listening and I will talk to you back here next week. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.